Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Why is it that with sparkling water, I'm always playing guessing games with what flavor I'm drinking? Is it citrus? Is it aluminum can flavored? Mm, not sure. Sparkling ice, though, they really mean flavor. Like in-your-face flavor. Orange mango, black raspberry. Don't even get me started on the strawberry lemonade. Kiwi strawberry slid right into my taste buds DMs last night and let them know who's boss. No subtleties there and no sugar either. But it does have vitamins and antioxidants. Find sparkling ice at a major grocery store or club retailer near you. Sparkling ice. Anything but subtle. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. With Capella University's FlexPath format, you can set your own deadlines, learn at your pace, and access most coursework from anywhere at any time. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. This is the Olive Magazine podcast, a weekly roundup of food and drink chat brought to you by the team behind Olive Magazine, and this is episode 106. I'm Janine, Olive's food director and podcast host. Later on in the podcast, drinks writer Hannah decodes the label on your wine bottle, from what makes a wine vegan or natural, to the difference between organic and biodynamic. And I'm also chatting to cookery writer Adam about clever ways to reduce waste when cooking. But first up, here's digital editor and Scandi fan Alex, with Swedish chef Nicholas Ekstedt, talking about midsummer traditions, the midsummer feast, and why Swedes are always so happy. It's Alex here, and I'm at Taste London with Niklas Ekstedt, owner of Michelin-starred restaurant Ekstedt in Stockholm, Sweden. And he's one of the most loved chefs in Scandinavia. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I spoke with Niklas last year on the podcast about Swedish baking and breakfast, but today I'm here to chat about Midsummer. So Midsummer is celebrated in Sweden um, on a Friday, and this year it falls on the 22nd of June. Um, And it's the longest day of the year when Swedes celebrate the summer solstice and the sun never actually sets giving Swedes plenty of time to eat drink and be merry in the outdoors so Niklas is the ideal person to chat about this celebration as he is king of open flame and outdoor cooking and having given up molecular gastronomy when he was in his early 20s to live in a hut in the archipelago of Stockholm so Niklas midsummer is taken as a national holiday in Sweden isn't it yes it's the biggest holiday of the year it's uh, something like in between I would I usually to Americans I compare it to um, Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. kind of like the family. And it, for British, it would probably be equivalent to like a, if you would 
think of that Christmas was in in the middle of the summer. Okay, that would be sounds the great. Term. The whole city <laughs> dies out. Everyone leaves. The tourists come into Stockholm and wonder like, what is going on? Yeah, <laughs> where is everyone? Uh, and, and where is everyone? Uh, everyone's at the f uh, family house. Okay. Yeah. You go either you go to friends' house or you go to family yeah. house. Yeah, and you so go out into the arc. Do you go out? You to go the out to the, the islands. You go into the countryside. You visit the family. It's a big yeah. It's a big celebration. So when I was a kid, it was very much a family tradition and when you get older you kind of go to your friend's house okay yeah and what do you actually do on the day <laughs> uh, I mean traditionally it's it's an old uh, it's an old holiday it's before Christianity was introduced into the Scandinavian countries okay so it goes back to the Viking time of, of, of Scandinavia right and then when Christianity was introduced very late in, mm -hmm. in Europe it was the latest part of Europe that was uh, 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 pilgrimed and they had problems getting rid of it so they they just left it there <laughs> okay so it's one of the few holidays that has doesn't have anything to do with Christianity or the Bible or Jesus okay so it's basically fertilizing the soil mm -hmm. uh, so you have the midsummer pole yes yeah, it's like our maypole we yes have, it's actually a around. big penis <laughs> Okay. Uh, and it's supposed to represent the penis fertilizing Didn't the soil that. going into the next year. So basically, so uh, you're all dancing around a giant penis. Yes. <laughs> That's great. And uh, then you got the flowers, and the flowers yes. are really important as well. It's the flower celebration. Yes. And uh, so the... Um, uh, the unmarried women, they're supposed to pick seven flowers during the day, okay. put them in the hair, and then during night, they're supposed to put them under the pillow and they're, they're, they're going to have a dream about their future husband to ah. see who their future husband is. And why seven yeah. flowers? I have no, no idea. idea. <laughs> okay, <laughs> we'll leave that at that then. <laughs> yeah, it's just, I, I think no one knows either. I mean, all these things are just like sagas or myths and, and celebrations. So I think, but it, it, it's a beautiful night. And of course, it's very seasonal food-wise as well. So it's, so it's a big food thing. Yes, yeah, so um, when it comes to the Midsummer Feast, what are the traditional dishes that you uh, cook? Uh, nowadays, it's uh, herring. Herring, uh, okay. It's a big thing. We, I mean, we eat herring all year round. Yeah, I, I've for just Christmas been... and for for everything. But uh, but of course, it's like modern. I mean, we're very kind of like contemporary country, and so mm -hmm. you can basically eat anything for for midsummer. But something that's becoming bigger and bigger is actually just grilling. Okay. Yeah, so which most, is. Perfect for you. Yeah, <laughs> and new potatoes or fresh potatoes. Right. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah, so I, I I saw her when I was looking up like the different dishes that you mm. serve. Potatoes have quite a hero role. Yeah. How come? Why is that? Is it's it just because of the? Yeah. But yeah. it's like our new potatoes, yes. so we have our Jersey Royals. Exactly, yeah. And um, where are they? Are they grown all across Sweden? Yeah, they're grown all across Sweden, but mostly in Skåne, the southern part oh, of yes. Sweden. Oh, yes, we yeah. like Skåne. And, um, yeah, some of them are greenhouse grown and some of them are, depending on the weather, of course. Okay, and how do you serve them? Uh, it's just very similar to how you cook new potatoes here. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's just slightly, lightly cooked and then with some butter and dill and... Uh, then we eat some pickled herring, gravad lax. Oh, yes, as a gravad lax. So most people eat that as a starter, like some new potatoes, herring, uh, gravad lax. Mm -hmm. And then you eat like a grilled meat or grilled fish okay. as a main course. And so then no always meatballs, strawberries. that's more wintry, no, isn't it? No meatballs, no minced meat for midsummer. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, strawberries. Strawberries, is like I would say new potatoes, strawberries are the two most okay. important elements. Quite similar to, to England then. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think there are actually, I mean, if you look going back 
in history, I don't think those were, would have been the things that they would have eaten. I think they're fairly new. Okay. Because I, I know that new potatoes were introduced in the 1920s, 30s. So you think of midsummer, the food as a very old traditional food things, mm -hmm. but they're actually kind of like a modern interpretation of an old tradition. Okay. And um, I, so the most famous um, dessert, I think, is called, right, let's see if I can pronounce this, mm. Jodgubstarta. Yeah, well, it's a <laughs> strawberry tart. Is that, how yeah. do you pronounce it? Jodgubstarta. Okay. Yeah, torta really? is a tart and jodgubar is strawberries. Okay. Yeah. And that's just, um, do you just use strawberries or is there anything else? Yeah, no, I mean, every, I mean, usually you bring, so it's kind of like, it's, it's, you know, Everyone brings something with them okay. for the party. So someone brings the strawberry cake. Some some people bring bring the drinks. Some people bring the herring. So okay. And then everyone gathers around. Like nice. Yeah. That sounds great. And then yeah. uh, speaking of the drinks. Yeah. Um, it's a very much a drinking. Yes. Because it's always on a Friday. Okay. Uh, so you I, have I don't really you have the, why, you have the Friday. You have the next day off, don't yes. you? Yeah, but it's Saturday anyway. Oh, right. But yeah, the back <laughs> in the days it used to be. Uh, uh, when people used to work on Saturday, they used to take the Saturday off as well. But most people take the Friday off and the Thursday off as well. It's the biggest kind of like long weekend in, yeah. at the year. And do you yeah. sing Helango? Yes. <laughs> you sing songs and drink. Bad. Yeah. So it's a drinking, singing, eating okay. night. Okay. And you have sna snaps Yeah, then. snaps. Yeah. Flavored vodka. But uh, kids and the young generation of Sweden don't drink as much as the older generation. So you can really... So it's, you it's mean as in like the you know 18, 19 year olds? No, or? I mean even like 20, 30, oh, okay. and the tw people that are in the 20s and 30s. So it's so it's much of a, a generation thing. Well, so how I, come that is? Uh, I think snaps and vodka is like it's part of my parents' generation, okay, and the new generation is more like wine and beer. Yeah, because yeah. Skona has um, some really nice wines, doesn't yes, it? Yes, yeah, it has that yeah, new wine generation, the organic wines, natural wines, all that kind of like or like quality beer and mm. draw and, and handcrafted beers and all that. So, yeah. that, so the new generation is more of like, it's, it's a different type yeah. of drinkers. Yeah. Uh, my parents' <laughs> well, generation would rather drink like cheap beer <laughs> okay. and uh, strong vodka or flavored vodka and bitter bitters and bitter vodka mm -hmm. and, and all these th types of different snaps. Well, the new generation drink maybe one or two, but it's not the main beverage. Kind of like. Yeah, I recently went, well, a couple of weeks ago, weekends ago, I went to Gothenburg and yeah. then drove up west, the West Swedish coast, which yeah. was absolutely amazing yeah, in Orest yeah. and everywhere. Or, yeah. And then I'm actually going to do an article about that on Online, so everyone yeah, should check seafood. that out. But yeah, it was absolutely amazing. Also, the amount of craft beers in Gothenburg mm. was incredible. Yeah, There's so many yeah. microbreweries. Yeah, too, much, too many. Yeah. <laughs> I can't keep up anymore. I really like Omnipolis. Yeah. Um, they've come over from Stockholm yeah. to Gothenburg. Yeah. So yeah, that's a really great brewery to check mm. out. So it sounds like the Swedes are on to something good and know how to celebrate and be happy. And yeah, my cousin moved to Stockholm just before Brexit happened. And on that <laughs> dreadful day of the result, um, he put on his Instagram a photo of hundreds of people dancing in a field around a pole and the caption was meanwhile in Sweden <laughs> and I was like damn you yeah. um, and it certainly made me want to move there yeah. um, but you're publishing a book called Happy Food yes. aren't you that comes yeah. out in the UK on the yeah. 23rd of August yeah. and that's basically to help teach people how eating can lift your mood and bring joy so that seems very apt for the um and fitting for the for the midsummer festivals yeah can you exactly quickly yeah. tell us your top three tips of how eating can make us happy uh, i mean eat a broad variety of food you know the, the the problem is if you go if you if you have food in just one way <laughs> you end up miserable 
Right. <laughs> yes. So just broaden your spectrum, and then like when you go shopping, you know, add a lot of color to your basket. Yeah. And also the same thing, you know, when you're shopping, try to buy as many different things as possible. The, I mean, the, the modern kind of Western diet has turned into this very kind of like people know like three, four recipes and they stick with them. Yeah, true. Yeah, very so we true. need to, to broaden that and then always eat vegetables with your food. Yeah. You can eat meat, you can eat fish, you can eat whatever you want, but as long as you bring a lot of vegetables into your, to your meal. Okay. And eat more fermented things to gut, yes. get your gut bacteria going. Okay. So try not to eat like pasteurized uh, things. Try to eat things with, with funky things. Yeah. Funky food. Funky food. <laughs> um, yeah, we've actually got a guide to fermenting um, on the website on olivemagazine.com yeah. so everyone can try and make their own. But there's a, there's a huge movement at the moment um, for fermenting and pickling and like Scully, for example, one of the uh, new restaurants in London, they've got a whole... Um, wall of shelves and it's just got like dozens and dozens of jars with all mm. different colors of pickling funky yeah. foods and so, beautiful yeah yeah and it really happened there's something going on when you eat it so yeah well cool well um thanks for that and um i think you're now going to do two lunches aren't you at taste of london so I am. i'll I leave am. you to go with that yeah it's been a busy week <laughs> yeah busy week in london but Very i'm loving busy. it and it looks like the weather is clearing up as yeah, well yeah so hopefully we're have a, a, it's currently a great raining. day yeah. yeah thanks for having well, me well yeah well yeah, glad I, glad of midsummer yeah, and thank happy you. eating thank you i love your magazine as well it's oh, really nice good. thank you yeah. Hello, this is Laura here, the editor of Olive, and I'm here with Hannah, our lovely sub-editor who compiles our drinks pages. Um, Hannah, we had a really interesting wine column in our new issue, which is out for June, um, and it was about what's in our wine bottles, mm -hmm. which, which sounds like a stupid thing because they're labelled. They tell us the grape, the terroir, the winemaker, the vintage. Mm -hmm. So we know what's in the wine bottle, right? Well... It turns out we don't always know. And uh, depending whether you're a vegan or a vegetarian or you care about eating organically or biodynamically, um, sometimes it pays to kind of read your wine label. And sometimes even then... Um, it's, you're not, you, can, you can't always be sure what you're drinking. Yeah, it's very different to... So reading the column by Kate, who's our wine writer, mm. was super informative for me because when it comes to food labelling... Now, I'm not one of those people who looks at calories and all that sort of nonsense, mm. but you can look at a, a food label and if it's processed or whatever, you can see, right, it's got this additive in, it's got this nasty in, it's got this process. Yeah. And it tells you exactly what's in there. And on the front, you have even the traffic light system nowadays with the, you know, red... Um, amber and green mm -hmm. of what's good and what's bad but with the wine labels Kate was telling us is that they don't list any additives that are added so you know you think it's just grapes in there but it, yeah but it's not it's actually not um so you know as you said you can read a food label and you can make a reasonably informed choice mm. about you know what you want to buy what you want to eat um not the case with wine labels um it's quite shocking actually yeah isn't it? definitely um I think the law requires um, only sulfur dioxide to be uh, listed on a wine label, and sulfur dioxide uh, is used in all wines to make 
to stop things, like, to help with things. Like it's, I think it's a natural product of the fermentation process. Mm. Um, that's the only thing that you're meant to label. But there's a pa- but the EU permits like something like 50 other additives. It's quite scary. You can be added in them anything from oak chips to sweeteners mm. to enzymes. And I'm sure some of them have a place and they're perfectly Definitely. fine. Definitely, we're, we're not saying that they're all safe. nasty. But no, but it's just it's interesting that you don't know what necessarily is in your wine. And I think sulfites get a bit of a bad press mm-hmm. of that they give you this massive. You know, they say, oh, it's got no. This wine's got no sulfite and so you'll not get a hangover which isn't necessarily true is it and then they shouldn't be seen as this bad thing no I mean Kate gave it quite an interesting stat didn't she on the amount of people who actually have an allergy to that additive yeah she said fewer than one percent yeah so don't use that um excuse anymore for your hangover it, it might be the case but it might be it might be that you had things. four glasses of wine <laughs> yes. yeah exactly and I think she actually said that there might be other you know the other additives might be a more likely culprit mm. particularly when it comes to mass-produced wines so yeah. some of the additives I mentioned before um you know things like colorants and sweeteners, sweeteners. Was a surprising one for me mm. um and a shame and you, it kind of figures you can perhaps taste that in certain wines you know if you're like oh this doesn't taste quite right or mm-hmm. it's cloying or whatever you know there might be a little culprit hiding behind the wine label um so what do we do if we don't want to have all these things lurking not to say bad things but things that we don't know about in the yeah. wine label. or at least if you just want to know a bit more about, yeah. about what you're buying well um one very easy solution is to head to um co-op food okay um it's um it was the first supermarket to list all ingredients on its wine labels, which it has actually been doing since 1999. They're so, so progressive. Yeah. Co-op they are great. Mm. I am a big fan, you know, Definitely. from their uh, fair trade chocolate, um, things like that. I just think they they think, and I like that kind of consciousness that they have. Yeah, and they've, um, been, do- and they've been thinking like that for a long time as well. Yeah. Um, so, again, that's a great place to start. Um, it also recently launched um, 100 new uh, vegan wines. Yeah, because the other thing is, I, I'm sure vegans are well aware that lots of wines aren't vegan. But for you know Joe Public, I I didn't know until recently that that wine contained this kind of um, is it a fish bladder or there's other there's yes, certain so filtration processes. Yeah, to uh, I think it's called fining, um, mm-hmm. and it's the same for things like beer. But most wine producers will use things like egg whites or fish bladders, yeah. fish swim bladders. I yes. think. That's there's, a difference, there's a difference, yeah. Yeah, apparently, um, to basically uh, filter out um, mm. some of the, you know, bits and bobs, like um, things like uh, sediment. Yeah, or, it's just um, make it a, a more refined, yeah. clear, pure wine. So that's why sometimes when you have the, what we're going to on to talk about now with the natural wines or biodynamics, mm. they're slightly cloudy, yeah. and that can be because they're not filtered. Yes, and um, any wine that's labelled unfiltered um, should also be vegan yeah um but if they are filtered and they're also labeled a vegan or vegetarian and they should be labeled mm. on the wine bottle if they are yeah um i think they use things like plant proteins to filter okay. it out so so there are there is there technology are. and alternatives if definitely which is good for those that, mm. that care about those things fantastic okay so cot food big massive tick there yeah. what else um so something else to be aware of is off um Everyone would have seen bottles of wine which are labelled as being organic yeah. or biodynamic. Um, Very trendy buzzwords. At the definitely. Um, difference between organic and biodynamic, it's a little bit hazy, but um, generally both organic and biodynamic wines um, are grown without the use of things like artificial uh, pesticides, mm-hmm. less additives added to the wine. Okay. But generally with, bi- with biodynamic wines, it can get a little... Uh, it's all to do with the moon, isn't it? Yes. I feel like there are I, There are some mentions of lunar cycles, yeah. but, but generally the idea is, is that 
the grower will treat the whole vineyard as mm. like an ecosystem. Yeah, so it's so in tune with nature, isn't it? Right? Yeah, I mean, it's still like a good concept, even yeah. though some of the ideas are... are um, potentially less scientific yeah I think others. my understanding of it which is probably not a very good one but it's just that they are going back to kind of really ancient principles of how mm. to create wine so you know they've gone full cycle gone through all the technology and the efficient farming and all those sorts of things mm -hmm. and artificial help through um fertilizers and pesticides and all those sorts of things and literally going right back to the land and the moon and the sun and working out how all of those things produce a great a great grape and a great wine, mm -hmm. um, which is no bad thing. There's definitely they're definitely a certain type of wine, um, and they taste very different. Yes, but I really enjoy them, and there's no bad thing to me if they're kind of natural. Yes, well, natural wine. So that's again yes. a very trendy buzzword. At the yeah. Moment. Um, if you haven't really heard of the term, um, Laura kind of sort of covered it just now. But uh, essentially, they're called low intervention wines as yes. well. Yes. So again, bringing wine back to how it used to be made so not adding lots of extra additives mm. not adding processes to make it make it taste different mm. uh the idea that it's usually fermented with whatever yeasts are in the wine mm. sometimes wines uh there's a term called spontaneous fermentation right. where um it's kind of just left to do its thing as nature intended yes <laughs> um and as laura said natural wines do taste uh quite different yeah to what you'd expect um it can be a bit of a shock if you haven't had it before. Um, generally, a good natural wine will taste quite fresh, yeah. quite wild. Um, there is a, a bit of funk to it, doesn't there's it? There's a bit of a funk to it, uh, which, when it's good, is great. Mm. But when it's bad, it can taste uh, quite... There's a term called mousy, so it's Ooh, quite sort of... I, I get that. Uh, yeah. You can probably guess <laughs> how it would taste, a bit of a barnyard. So that's... Yeah. I mean, it's quite tricky to produce, produce natural wine, because, mm. which is why you don't usually find it in supermarkets, because yeah. it's hard to get hold of large quantities, yeah. um, mainly because the process is more unpredictable yeah. and more things. So obviously, it, can't it, do it, it's harder scale. to kind of maintain. Yeah. Um, so, But if you do like... Um, we'll go through some... We've got some recommendations uh, for you now, but generally check out small independent wine shops yeah. um, and... Um, places like Sage on Wild uh, in Hackney, mm. which is a which is a really great wine bar, which specializes in all sorts. But you were able to find some nice. Yeah, wine we've wine actually there. got like we're obviously just touching the surface of a massive mm. subject here. Mm -hmm. But if you have a look on OliveMagazine.com, Kate Hawkins, our wine writer, who's absolutely fantastic. Mm. She's got loads of different columns um, from previous months in the magazine that we've uploaded online that go into more detail about like yeah. what a natural wine is, you know, all these sorts of things, so you can find out a bit more about it. Um, and she'll just go into a lot more detail and obviously give her recommendations as well. And talking of great wine bars, because I think that's the other thing that this column really touches on, is it's it's about having conversations. It's not necessarily just going, that's a pretty label, which, trust me, we've all done, mm. but not just going, that's a pretty label, I'll have that, or just going for the same wine that you go for every week because it's on offer or whatever, which is totally cool. But it's having a conversation. It's going into a wine shop. It's going into a wine bar and saying, talk to me about this wine. Tell me what's in it. Tell me who grew it. Tell me what it tastes like. Mm. Um, and we've got a big feature online as well of some really cool wine bars across the country mm -hmm. um, that you can do that in and actually have a great plate of food too. So just a little plug for those because I think they're really useful features Definitely. online. But anyway, let's get back to this. And so we're talking about wines that tell us, tell us what we need to know and they're blooming delicious as yes. well. We've got some course, recommendations. It's always the most important thing. Yes. So Kate's made a few recommendations. Um, the first one is Majestic's First Natural Wine. That's um, great news. And... Quite natural, a lot of natural wines can be um, on the slightly pricier side. Yeah. 
Um, but actually, again, because they're smaller batch, they're smaller, batch, smaller makers. Um, um, but this is actually not too bad. It's eleven ninety nine, which is decent price. Yeah, definitely in the affordable range. Yeah, um, it's called Le Naturel, and it's a Grenache based blend that is very fresh and fruity, with no added sulfites, and it's also suitable for vegans. Great. Um, unusually for a red, it's actually um, it's uh, served slightly chilled. Okay, nice. Um, so perfect then, for this time of year? Yes, perfect. Perfect summer drink. And uh, moving on to very summery uh, wine. <laughs> um, I'm probably going to butcher the pronunciation, so just forgive me. <laughs> uh, it's called uh, Les Pionnes Rosé Champagne. Uh, it's $21.99 from Co-op Food. Which actually um, is getting a bargain for champagne, right? De- oh, really yeah, good, I mean, very, very cheap. Good price. Uh, very, like... Um, sort of millennial friendly uh, yes. pick packaging yeah um lovely strawberry notes uh creamy bubbles um and that's also vegan and then um the next one we have is from Oddbins. um this is nine pounds and it's emiliana natura how would you say that viognier viognier <laughs> I, I always look at it i'm never quite sure how to say it um as long as you know how to drink it, Hannah, that is all that matters. Well, I myself. <laughs> um, so it's from uh, Chile. Um, it's vegan. Um, Kate recommends um, that you enjoy it with a crab and pumpkin cannelloni. Yeah, so this is the other great thing about Kate's column, if you haven't read it before, is she each wine that she recommends, she always gives a couple of suggestions for the recipes throughout the issue. Mm-hmm. So if you're making anything from the latest issue, have a look and see what she recommends for the wine, because then you can have a... Definitely. Nicely patched meal. Um, and then the last one she's got here is uh, Domaine des Torelles, which is 1750 from Wine Society. Uh, this is a wine from Lebanon. Um, the Again, super trendy. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, yeah, so the winery um, farms 70-year-old vines organically, without irrigation, ferments with indigenous yeasts, um, and ages the wine in old concrete tanks. Mm. Um, she reckons this would be um, hit with the broad bean smash with lamb shawarma, which is our cover recipe for June. Um, which is and absolutely very incredible. suitably Middle Eastern choice as well. Yes, it is. Um, so thank you very much, Hannah. I think that was a good debrief on Kate's brilliant column. Um, so yeah, that's in the June issue um, of Olive Magazine and it will be online at some point as well. But have a look at online at olivemagazine.com for all of her previous wine columns. Definitely. Okay, right. thank you. Thank you. So I'm here today with cookie writer Adam, Hello. and we're talking about the new, the brand spanking new June mm. issue on shelves now. Yeah. Um, and you've got a brilliant feature called Waste Not, Want Not, which is unsurprisingly about waste. Yes. How not to waste. How not to waste. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's a cooking feature, as in its recipes mm-hmm. and how to use, how to get the best out of everything. Yeah. Um, so where did that, I mean, obviously June is kind of our eco issue or no waste issue. So we're really thinking about the processes, how we work in the test kitchen, how we use ingredients. Um, and I think your brief was just to come up with three recipes that used the whole thing, whatever the whole thing is. So, like, talk us through the recipes. Yeah, so um, I sort of approached it from um, two, like, basically two angles. So the first one was, like, utilising the whole ingredients. So, like, I wrote um, uh, the Middle Eastern roast carrot recipe which utilised the uh, the tops as well as the, the actual root itself because yeah. um, they're perfectly edible most people and if you know you see them at like good supermarkets foot farmers markets mm. and that sort of thing um, and most people would just lump them off and then you know use the root as you know mm. you know and that's because they used to get in them in packets without the tops on yeah I mean presumably that is because 
when you go in a supermarket and you see a packet of carrots, it's it, if you, if they left the tops on, they probably deteriorate a little bit easier. Yeah, it, it is. It's simple as that, really. Um, yeah, like a lot of vegetables that have a top like that, like beetroot mm -hmm. have that as well. But if you find the bulbs in the uh, in the roots in the supermarket, they've yeah. pretty much always got them taken off because they will deteriorate at a much faster rate than the, yeah. the actual root itself. Yeah. So they look like they're like they might. It would give you the impression that the beetroot is like not mm. fresh, but actually it's the leaves that deteriorate. But actually, the root is still perfectly good itself. And really, it's kind of like a it's a guide to. If, if you've got the time and you've got the inclination to do it and you want to seek them out, the, the carrots that you're going to get with the tops on are going to be fresh out of the ground exactly. as well, rather exactly. than from a deep store where yep. they've been in. Buried you know, in sand if, yeah. for, like, months on end, potentially. Yeah. Or so, so, like, if, you, you know, if you're interested in pursuing that and thinking about, you know, the way that... that where that food's come from, then actually that the tops are a lovely indication. Yeah, that Yeah, definitely. It'd be like you know lifting at the gills of a fish or looking at the eyes. If, yeah. if the if the tops are in beautiful condition, that means it's not come out of the ground yeah. like you know that long ago. And you can use that as well. Yeah. 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 yeah, and so yeah, so I decided to. Um, so you've gone like Middle Eastern roots. Middle Eastern, so you've got yeah. a dukkha, which is a condiment. Yeah, it's like a like a uh, herb, spice, uh, nut sort of mix. Like different regions yeah. have different ones. Um, like I went to Jordan a few years ago, and theirs was like completely different to what anything that I'd seen before. It really? Was like, yeah, it was mad. Had um, loads of sesame seeds. Was spicy and um, wasn't as rough. It was quite well blended in yeah. a lot of places. Um, but it's kind of like that thing in the table where it's everywhere it's always on the table with um zatar as well and people just put it on literally everything so with yours it's a mix of uh we've got coriander fennel peppercorns sesame seeds cumin and cumin and then hazelnuts provide the nut element it's yeah. really lovely and it's actually a great way just to kind of you can just make it in a little keep it in a little pot yeah i'll keep for keep for ages place. yeah, yeah. Um, and then how did you make the um the pesto well it's kind of a yogurty isn't it it's like yeah a so basically it's like I, it, the tops are very herbaceous so i basically just used and if you look at the picture they do almost look like dill um, and yeah. they're like that sort of very fine yeah when i was proofing it i i figured out i was like that's not carrot top that's dill but actually it's they've yeah. got these lovely little feathery yeah yeah um so yeah like a really green vibrant herbaceous mm. flavor so um yeah just blended them up with some yogurt lemon juice um yeah, and a little bit of dill just to help it along. And it gives it a beautiful, vibrant green as well, yeah, doesn't it? So when you drizzle so. it over to finish, it's actually quite a show-offy dish for what's a humble... I love carrots, though, and the yeah. thing about them is the natural sweetness when you roast them just comes out. Yeah, definitely. I've seen quite a few people um, doing barbecue Barbecued, carrot, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so <laughs> this year's top, top veg... Forget about kale... Get your carrots on yeah, the barbie. Good carrots, yeah, definitely. <laughs> and make um, make this little ducker and um, yogurt to go with. Yeah, because you could you could you could blend that. You could make your ducker and your herb uh, dressing before, and then yeah. just you know a barbecue, chuck them on the barbecue. Chuck it on there. Yeah, cool. That'd be cool. And then let's talk about the chicken because we love chicken. Everyone loves chicken. I I had roast chicken at the weekend, and even though I probably will eat more of the chicken than most people, um, you were kind of. I think your viewpoint was how can we how can we like make every single part brilliant in this yeah. and like take it and make the best of it. Yeah, so I basically wanted to. So basically, this is like almost like the nose to tail. Well, obviously not nose to tail, but yeah. Um, sort of yeah, utilizing all of it in one dish that wasn't just a roast chicken. Yeah. So um, although you do pretty much do roast it in several yeah. ways, but <laughs> so. Um, 
you yeah you, so you take off the so what's the dish name the so dish it's a whole chicken shoyu ramen yeah. so uh, a shoyu ramen is like a soy based as opposed okay. to like a fatty pork based yeah, one yeah, so it's yeah. a little bit lighter yeah. it's a bit um cleaner um it's a weekend project isn't it um <laughs> yes i mean it it, it, it took me well yeah it takes a good few hours basically yeah. there's <laughs> no, no but there's it's no good though because i i would say like in olive for the most part, our recipes are really, um, although they're like f- flavor parks and clever and inventive, we don't really do the like three-day project recipes. And this isn't a three-day project, but it's, you know, you have to spend a little bit of time doing it. And that's nice. It's kind of respectful to the, the bird as well. It, it completely. But also, it, it might say, you know, it takes five hours. But actually, when you're roasting the chicken bones, yeah. you can go off and do something for an hour, come yeah. back, you know, set a timer, come back. And yeah. then when you put everything in to make the stock to simmer for a couple of hours, you can go out, yeah. off, out, do whatever, because it's, it's not going to go wrong. It's just three litres of water with some chicken bones in it and some other stuff. So talk us through the process of how you put it together, because it's quite interesting as well. Yeah, so basically you so you basically joint... Well, you take the legs off the chicken. Take the legs um, off first. Yeah, always. Set them aside. Yeah. Um, and then take the breasts off. Yeah. Put them aside. So the bit, there's a bit of butchery. Yeah, a bit of butchery. Which I believe is up online with Yeah, you. we have a video of me... Um, butcher and a chicken. Yeah, which was interesting. Well, joint in a chicken, because butchery <laughs> kind yeah, of suggests that we've just dispatched yeah. a chicken. We did Unfortunately, it. Unfortunately, yeah, I went out to... Um, the chicken was already prepared. It was. And, and it, Adam's jointed it. it. So basically, I believe taken, it had been dispatched, yeah. is the same of <laughs> Taking the legs off, taking the breasts off, and then... Uh, you take the skin off the breast and put that to one side. Yeah. Um, and then you... So you wrap your breasts, put them in the fridge, because you don't need them until later. Um, and then you uh, roast your carcass, uh, your legs, and the skin. Mm. So the skin's crisp. Once that's crisp, put it to one side. And then um, the legs put to one side, the carcass put into a stock pot to make, like, a nice bright brown oh, chicken. And, and you've already roasted it, so you get all that lovely flavour. Yeah, flavor so you get it. all that flavour, all that deep flavour. Um, and then you pick all the chicken, uh, like, the leg meat off the chicken legs. Legs, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, just repeat myself. Um, put that to one side, and then you can put those the leg bones into the stock. Oh, right, um, cool. With, like, some shiitake mushrooms and all that sort of So you're good. making, like, that really deep, savoury stock. Exactly. That, that's um, a backbone of your ramen. Yeah. So, yeah, the stock's, like, all important. So yep. that's that's the best bit, really. That's the thing that brings it all together. Um, and then you'll, like, a bit later on, you... Um, mix that picked leg meat with uh, miso and then you fry that at the end so you've got like this nice. crispy umami bomb thing that just goes yeah. in the middle and sort of stir <laughs> it through um, and it sort of acts a little bit like uh, like a tonkotsu like the pork fat so it just adds that oh, sort of yeah. richness at the end that the pork fat sort of does that like coats your mouth a little yeah. bit and adds a bit of and richness and it's quite soft the meat isn't it yeah. so it sort of melds in a bit with the stock yeah, as well exactly. lovely um and then uh, the breast you poach in your stock at the end and then slice and add that on top. Yeah. Um, and then you serve it with a shard of chicken skin and with an egg. So it's basically like the chicken and the egg. Yeah. Sweet corn, <laughs> which is what they eat, I think. Is, is that why the sweet corn went in there? Yeah, why not? It's quite pretty, actually. Yeah, so like, you know. I, lo- I, I have to say, like, I love... I roasted chicken at the weekend and I was... I love the skin and I love the idea of... Um, I think Max did it in his Christmas sandwich as well taking the chicken or turkey skin and then re-cooking it so it just goes yeah, super, definitely. super... Cr- and it Shards. is like a shard, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. It's like glass. By yeah. the end, you can see through it. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, the amount of, like, sort of flavour and salt and fat that's in that is yeah. just... Uh, my mouth is watering just mm, thinking about it. It's just before lunch for us, so, yeah, but I'm But that starving. is an incredible and seriously worth doing. If you're... 
If you're looking for something where, you know, it's not going to completely do your head in, but um, if you follow it, it will work and yeah. your friends will love you. So Definitely. And, and it, it says five hours, but... You know, three hours of that, you can, you're just putting something it's on. It's like a pottering going, five hours, yeah, isn't it? exactly. It's only like the last half an hour when you have a little bit of more m- m- mayhem. <laughs> Rob and mayhem. Rob and mayhem, yeah. <laughs> cool. And then um, last but not least, you. I was surprised when you said that the thing that people throw away most is um, bananas. Yeah, and milk. It's like two household things oh, that yeah. um, is really always like half a, half a carton yeah. of milk or like a couple of bananas from a pack that have yeah. just gone over, you know, and people are like, oh, a bit soft or... Do you not find that, that sometimes bananas go from green to black yeah. overnight? Yeah. Like you literally be like waiting for the perfect ripeness and then... It's gone. And then suddenly yeah, it's, gone. it's gone down the road. No, 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 exactly what you mean. Yeah. Those bananas are perfect for this. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so this is kind of like the other um, angle that I approached the waste from. So this is... Um, just the actual whole product being yeah. wasted as like as an excess sort of thing you know you buy six bananas mm. but actually they only eat four like four only get eaten during the week and then yeah. you've got like two or that half carton of milk that you sort of always end up throwing out yeah um yeah so i wanted to utilize them so i did sort of like a basic uh, so i roasted the bananas in um just made like a caramel then roasted it nice uh, so then made a caramel took the bananas out made like a caramel um sauce with some butter and uh, double cream um and then just make like a look like a normal custard with milk and yeah using condensed milk to sort of uh like stabilize enrich it a bit, yeah, yeah and, and, and enrich it um yeah churned that with a blend of the bananas churned it with the milk and then sort of um swirled the caramel yeah. sauce through it and it's quite i mean it is quite simple really once you put it all together isn't yeah it? yeah and then that will keep in your freezer forever because i think that's the other thing that i do a lot with bananas is as soon as i start seeing them on the turn i just chop them up and put them in the freezer for smoothies, smoothies. or yeah give them to my dog because he likes eating a frozen Fair. banana bit Why not? it's good for them it's good for them and they love it um but yeah because bananas are one of the things i think just was going to talk briefly about um because you've got another thing in the issue um which is a pavlova recipe and it made me think oh so that's great for your frozen because we always say like freeze your egg whites yeah. and, and um, i never used to do it but i do now and um and actually what freezing the egg whites does is it kind of slightly starts breaking, breaking it, down. it down so yeah. you can whip your meringue up quite easily from yeah. from frozen whites mm-hmm. it does work yeah, yeah definitely my mum would absolutely swear by that yeah yeah she's always like oh she's always like looking forward to doing something she's like oh that'll make up eight egg whites which i can make this yeah. bad, like, uh, like classic <laughs> so she's she's my hero white. she's yeah, my yeah. freezer hero yeah because yeah. um i think in cooking as well we talked a lot about um how you know your freezer should be just an extension of your store cupboard and like just yeah, definitely think of it like that you know don't don't chuck stuff away if you've got um if you had leftover carrots, like maybe cut them down into manageable size, put them in a bag, and next time you've got you're doing a stew or something, you can just add those carrots yeah. straight into it, and you, you're not thinking, oh, I've got these carrots, but they're they're whole and they're frozen, and I can't be bothered to wait for them to defrost. I think mm-hmm. that's the is make make it as convenient for yourself before you start, and then like Definitely. cutting bananas up into yeah, little yeah. chunks, then you can just shove them straight in the smoothies. Yeah. Whereas you freeze your bananas whole. Yeah. The it's, more the more it's more likely just going to be a stopgap on the way to the bin yeah yeah yeah. but um but yeah so great ideas for um for waste in this issue Mm -hmm. um so that's june issue which is out right now please go get it um go check out adam's 
joint in a chicken on YouTube. video on YouTube and it on was... our olivemagazine.com mm. as well. And yeah. go make that crazy Please ramen. make the ramen because it is lovely. All right. Thanks very much, Adam. See you later. So that was the Olive Magazine podcast. If you like this episode, please head over to iTunes and leave a review. We'd love to hear from you. For more information on things in this episode, you can visit our website, olivemagazine.com. And you can pick up a copy of our brand new June issue now or go download the app version. Bye for now and we'll be back next week with more food and drink chat.